Well, today we're going to shift gears from that. We're going to talk about laughter, believe it or not, um, but a few different kinds of laughter, to be precise. And so I was looking at laughter, I actually looked to this person who's a laugh expert. There's such a thing. Um, Sophie Scott, she did a TED Talk in 2015 that I listened to, and she says that laughter is one of our most important and yet one of our most misunderstood uh, behaviors. It's the easiest of all the emotions to read in people, but it's not always the easiest one to truly understand. And so normally we assume that we laugh the most in in the presence of funny people. She says that's actually not true. She says that we laugh the most when we're the ones talking. She says we're really good at laughing at ourselves or laughing at our own jokes. Like, I know I am anyway. Like, I think I'm pretty funny, but sometimes I wonder, like, why am I the only one laughing? (laughs) So she says that laughter is a social emotion. She says it's one that brings people together. It helps us bond with others. It's one of the primary ways that we maintain relationships. Laughter lets people know that we agree with them that we're in things with them. It actually opens us up and encourages us to let others in. But what about laughter at inappropriate times? Have you ever... This is, well, and if, anyone, if anyone has a story here, this, this would be great. Has anyone ever laughed at an inappropriate time? Yeah, Jeff. Okay, so a few people have. If any, but this is the time. If anybody wants to share what that is, some some can't be shared. I totally get that. Like, it won't work. Uh, but if someone has one, th- it, this would be perfect right here. Anybody? Jeff. All right, let's hear it. Uh, well, uh... <laughs> he's deciding whether he can say what he wants to say in worship. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm trying to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a defense mechanism. Absolutely. Right. We could just stop right here. We could totally be done right now. Um, So, like, I was thinking about if you ever, like, giggled uncontrollably in a moment that wasn't supposed to be funny. So, So here's one. All right, so this one's, this one's fun. We're going to have a light hope. We'll get, we'll get more serious as we progress, but we'll start off with something more fun. So a few years ago, I recommend my chiropractor to my brother, and my brother goes in for his first visit ever to a chiropractor, right? So Dr. Aaron finishes up on his back, and he's done his um, hip adjustment, and he's on to the grand finale, the neck adjustment. Anybody ever had a neck adjustment? Okay, so if you don't know what's coming... Okay, the sound that your neck makes when they adjust it sounds like bones are breaking, okay? So my poor brother is just totally caught off guard. He has no idea what's coming, and all of a sudden, just... And he, he lost his mind. He could not stop laughing. He was so caught off guard. He giggled to the point where the doctor just, like, stepped back and was just standing there, like, looking at him with this blank stare and, and wondering, like, he couldn't continue, And he had the other half to do. My brother was embarrassed. He's like apologizing profusely. He could not stop laughing. This goes on and on and on. And so, like, and he calls me. He's like, you're not going to believe what had just happened to me. You know, he's leaving the office. And I I laughed so hard I cried. I mean, my laughter was very appropriate. His, not so much. 
Um, what I learned is I actually asked a chiropractor, because one of our daughters is considering chiropractic. So I actually asked a guy that was studying to be a chiropractor. I'm like, is this normal? And he says, yeah. He said, there's a couple reactions that happen. He says, some people get really angry and they jump up off the table and they're like ready to fight and they're swearing and they're just super mad. He said, other people will cry and some people just will laugh uncontrollably. So my brother was the uncontrollable laughter one. So, so how about we get, just think about something more serious. What about laughing at God? What about laughing at the promises of God? Would you consider that to be inappropriate? Laughter, yeah? How might God respond to someone who does something like that? This is where we're going to go today. So we're about to find out. Will you pray with me? God, we ask that you would reveal yourself through, to us through your word. God, we ask that you would be with us in the speaking, but God, also with us in our listening, that our hearts and minds may be open to know you more intimately and to follow your way. Amen. Here we go. It's a two-part story from Genesis 18. The first part is 1 to 15, and then it finishes in chapter 21, 1 to 7. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and he saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them, bowed down to the ground. He said, my Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servants. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened to the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd, took a calf, tender and good, gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, oh, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> the Lord dealt with Sarah. As he had said, the Lord did for Sarah as he promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, whom Sarah bore him. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old at God, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, whoever, uh, who would ever have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The word of the Lord. Sheesh.
So we enter this story right in the middle of it. So a little bit of background is actually going to help make sense of what's going on. Last week, we were in this abundant Garden of Eden. Today, we find ourselves out more in the real world where life does not always feel so abundant. And so Genesis chapter 12, if you go back a little bit, this is the beginning of the covenant that God makes with Abraham. Um, And so Abraham is called to leave his country. God tells Abraham to go to this place, to strike out to the place that God would show him. And here's the the three things that, uh, that God promised Abraham. He promised him three things. First was land. Uh, the second was to make him the father of a great nation. And the third, he says that in and, through, uh, in and through Abraham, God promised to bless all the families of the earth. It's going to be pretty difficult to do. Two of those three things are going to be pretty difficult to do if they don't have a kid, right? And so two of these three promises are kind of just kind of worthless if they remain without a child. So Genesis chapter 15 comes along. God renews the covenant promise. Abraham is complaining to God that he has no offspring. And God takes him outside. He shows Abraham all the stars in the sky. And he tells Abraham, take a look as all those stars. That's how many descendants you're going to have. Hard to have that many descendants first without number one, right? And so they grow older still. Genesis 16, one chapter later, Sarah grows tired of waiting. She suggests that Abraham father a son through her handmaiden, Hagar, which Abraham does. And Abraham has a son. His name is Ishmael. Abraham is satisfied. But Sarah is left wondering. She's left out of this covenant promise. She wonders, how do I fit into this covenant promise? Genesis chapter 17. God repeats the promise again. You see where we're going here, right? And what does Abraham do? Does anybody remember what Abraham does this time in Genesis 17, right before our story? He falls down on his face, and he has a gut-busting laugh at this promise. Can you really blame him? He's 100 years old. Sarah's 90. It makes perfect sense that he laughs. It's classic comedy, not slapstick comedy, like classic comedy, right? It's a story that turns out in unexpected ways. It's a story that ends with laughter and joy. Um, But in comedy, there's always these complicating factors. There are things that would make this ending seem impossible, unlikely. Uh, And and here in this story, there's actually a bunch of those complications. One of those complications is God. Think about this. They're old. That's one. But God's part of the complication. This This is a promise that's been made now for multiple decades that has not yet been fulfilled. And this is what I was thinking of. Um, And we'll see what people think. This is where my mind went. I was like, what kind of promise is harder to believe than the one that is made over and over and over again and not kept? Anyone have issues with that? Think about some people in your life like this. You know, can you trust this kind of promise maker? A promise maker that makes like, I I mean, I'll just tell you how I respond, right? We, We should all be able to relate to promises that are made and they're not delivered on. When this happens to me multiple times, I'm out. Like, I don't last that long before I decide in my mind, this is someone that I cannot trust if they cannot keep their promises. And so this is where, this is where we're at in this, in this story. And so the question here actually becomes, can God be trusted? This is the question that's just jumping out of this text. And so the promise of Genesis 18, which we read, this isn't a new promise. This is an old promise. This is one, it's the same old promise that's not been delivered on. 
in Genesis 15, 16, 17, and now 18. goes all the way back to Genesis 12. Same promise. And so this poor Sarah, right? She's still barren, and now she says it's too late for her. The Bible speak, what was it? She's something in the manner of women. <laughs> we get what that means. Um, but like, she's suffered. This woman has suffered. Um, in her anguish, after years of this suffering, she's all but forgotten the promises of God, these descendants that are going to be as numerous as the stars. She's given up. She's given up hope. But Abraham, these three guys show up, and Abraham knows something is up. And so God is paying them this visit in these three men who suddenly appear, Abraham and Sarah. They show this absolutely incredible hospitality. He offers them rest and bread and water in this feast that's fit for a king. And it's like this kind of hospitality is difficult for people like us today to understand. But you got to remember that hospitality is the chief uh, social virtue in the biblical uh, era, right, in the biblical world. This is the most important thing. In this arid climate where there's no hotels, just think about this practically, right? Hospitality could be a life and death matter. Three guys show up to your house in the middle of the desert, um, and they have no food and no water. This is, it's serious, right? And so the law of biblical hospitality is actually really, really simple. It's one of the clearest things in all of Scripture. It just says that everyone, including strangers, everyone, including strangers, are to be treated like family. That third song we sang fits with this stuff really, really well. All are to be treated like family. This is biblical hospitality. And so in our New Testament, we see in like Hebrews 13.2, probably, I'll just give you one example here from, from the New Testament. It's almost a certain reference to our story. And the author of Hebrews just says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And so in other words, you never know who it is that you're meeting in the stranger, right? We could talk about in the Gospels. We could go back to Matthew 25. We could say in the stranger, who do we meet? We meet none other than Jesus himself, Okay. So Abraham and Sarah take this really seriously. They get this right. Sarah makes the cakes. Abraham picks the calf. Uh, they set everything before them. They feast. But we quickly learn that these guests are not there for Abraham. They're there for Sarah. And they want to know where she is. And she's there. She's eavesdropping on the conversation. She's listening to the whole thing. She overhears these messengers say to her husband that she's going to have a son. And what does she do? The same thing that Abraham did, a little differently. But she laughs quietly. She laughs quietly to herself. Abraham busted a gut laughing at this promise. Sarah quietly laughs to herself. They both laugh. So, like, I, I, I was thinking about this. I used to laugh in worship when I was a kid every week. I mean, like, every week. When I was in middle school, my brother and I and my mom would always worship together. And so we always, my brother and I wanted to sit in this particular seat because we knew that we were going to see this one dude, like, fall asleep and start snoring right in the middle of the sermon. And so, man, it was like anticipation. We were waiting for it, and we'd watch this poor guy, this red face, and he'd come in, and his eyes would start opening and closing. Frank, don't even, don't even say anything right now. I know you want to so bad. I know it. If you, all right, I'll take it. You ready? Do you got one? All right. Um, so this guy's eyes start opening and closing, and my brother and I start elbowing each other, like, it's coming, it's about to happen, here it comes. And sure enough, bam, his eyes are closed. And when I say snore, I'm talking 
snore out loud snoring and we just like we burst out laughing every Sunday my poor mom this isn't like this isn't the church where you're supposed to laugh like laughing wasn't okay like and people would be turning around and looking at us and my poor mom would be trying to get us to behave and it was a nightmare she separated us and she put us on both sides it didn't matter I could still reach my brother going across and behind and over the top whatever um so inappropriate laughter, right? And so I actually did, if you're going to learn one thing, here it is. I did a little research because I'm like, what do you do if you just start laughing uncontrollably like at the wrong time? There are some things you can do. So this is going to be like a sidebar right here. We're just going to be a real quick one. You're supposed to just, there's three things you can do. You can distract yourself from laughing. So they say pinch yourself, make a list in your head like a grocery list. Uh, you can try that and count backwards from 100. Um, sing a song to yourself, search for something specific in the room. Uh, the second thing they say is they want to do like a replacement behavior, nod, click a pen, draw something, whatever. And the third thing they say is uh, practice mindfulness. This is the best one. Uh, close your eyes, breathe deep, empty your mind. Now you can say you learned one thing. All right, we're moving on. <laughs> for Sarah, this is a scary and tense moment. Think about this. I'm having fun with it. She was not having, she's in a tough spot right here. Nobody likes being laughed at. Who likes being laughed at? You think God likes being laughed at? We don't like it? Like, this is serious. She's caught in a lie. She even denies that she's laughed. God isn't fooled. She has laughed. And we get to the crux of this whole story, the most important question that's posed to Abraham, the stranger. God says, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything too impossible for God. Abraham and Sarah, you want to know how they would have answered it? They would have said, yeah. This is something that's too impossible. I'm 100 years old and my wife's 90. This is too great. This, this is too great for, even for God. She'd grown cynical by the passing of the years, afraid to hope, afraid to be let down again by unkept promises. And then we get to chapter 21. And chapter 21 is the fulfillment of decades, multiple decades of promise to Abraham and to Sarah, Isaac, whose name ironically means he who laughs or laughter. Yeah, yeah. Isaac is born to a couple way past their prime. And so God is faithful to Sarah. And there's this beautiful ending to the story. I, this is my favorite part by far. She says, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me, not at her. We'll laugh with her. So I just want to finish with a couple of my reflections and thoughts on this, and we'll wrap this thing up. You know, the stuff that really interested me was the question of how would God treat Sarah? Sarah, who's a cynic, who doubted, who was a liar and a laugher. How's God going to treat her? You know, like we might expect, we're so used to this God of rewards and punishment, right? We just might expect that, you know, a lightning bolt's going to come out and strike her, some, some sort of punishment. At least we might at minimum say that God is going to revoke the promise. Like, look, if you're going to laugh in my face, at least I'm not, I'm not going to keep this promise. This promise is like, we're done here. And that's just not, not what happens. And so my favorite part by far is that God remembers Sarah, that God honors her by faithfully keeping this promise that has been made over a couple of decade period. And so we see God treat cynical Sarah with tenderness. We see God treat her with love, even when she laughs in God's face. Now, I can get cynical with the best of them, all right? 
So we have, Chad is an Enneagram certified coach. Anyone that's taken, there's a few people that have taken the Enneagram. Um, yeah, Dan now has it. A couple people have taken it. Um, so I can't help myself when I get cynical and pessimistic because I'm a six. It makes some sense when I, when I learn this stuff about myself. One of my daughters this weekend is like, Dad, you're pessimistic. And I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm sorry. You know, so this story, this word is actually really good for me. Uh, it's very good for me. Like, I need words like this one to correct me when I get cynical and pessimistic. And there's plenty in the world that's pretty easy right now to be cynical and pessimistic. Um, I have a whole list of things that I'm cynical and pessimistic about, right? And it's part just who I am, and I, I can't help it. Um, but so this is why this is really good for me. And so laughter, laughter. Um, well, how does God respond, first of all? How's God going to respond? If we, if, how does God respond when we get cynical, when we get pessimistic, when we uh, lose hope in something? Is God going to respond with kindness, with the same graciousness and love that we see with Sarah? And it's like, this is the conclusion that I came to after studying this story, that God's going to deal with us in the same manner. And laughter is one of the ways that we come to terms with the absurd with the ridiculous and the impossible. You're going to have a son at 100 years old. Ha, that's funny. Like, you can laugh at difficult stuff like that, or you can cry at difficult stuff like this. Life is hard. It can be painful. Um, and so what do we do? Sometimes, like Jeff, yours, is a good, yours was a good example. Um, sometimes in the face of difficult situations, we just we, we laugh. You know, it's a defense mechanism. It's whatever. It's, the, it's just a cynical part of us that comes out sometimes when we're in this situation that just seems difficult or unresolvable. And we understand and know this from personal experience. But here the promises of God continue to challenge our cynical notions. This is what I really liked about this story, that God's promises say that the future can be different from what it seems at the moment. So maybe the question for us would be something like this. Where, what are the places in life where you've given up uh, hope that things can be different? What caused, what's caused you to laugh in God's face? What's caused you to be afraid to hope again? Where are you cynical, pessimistic? What are the areas in life where you've just resigned yourself to the facts that this is the way it is and this is the way that it's always going to be? What are those areas for you? Like to our long lists, God might be just asking the same question to each one of us. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything too impossible for God? And so this story has actually been called the Old Testament version of the Christmas story. Should, this part should sound a little familiar. In Luke's gospel, we hear the message echoed from another messenger of God who brings this word to young Mary that you're going to be uh, pregnant and you're going, to, uh, you're going to give birth to Jesus, the Messiah. And the angel says to Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing. So I have this really good friend uh, and his wife uh, that suffered for years trying to have kids. They lost uh, kids. It's very painful. Uh, and things after seven years seemed really hopeless for them. They were, they were just they were in a tough spot. And after seven years of this, their son is born. And so this, every time we see this kid, he's a year and a half now, it's a celebration uh, of life. For a full year and a half, people have been celebrating this kid. And so at the end of our story, we see that God has the last laugh. We're left with this really beautiful image of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and God. They're all laughing together, 
They're all sharing a good laugh, a laugh that's good for the soul, a laugh that's good for the relationship, a laugh that binds them together now in trust, a laugh that gives them a hope for the future. It's a laugh that turns from cynical to celebration, all because God kept a long-standing promise. The story invites us all to join in that same celebration.